Good morning. It is uh, such an honor to be here today. It's, it's just incredible to worship with you. I, I just love the time of worship. In fact, I, is it okay, Hillary? Is it okay? Let's just do worship and I'll just sit. No. <laughs> so fun to be here. I'm, as uh, Hillary said, I'm here with my wife, uh, Sherry, who is an incredible leader in, in, in her own right. And we live in Denver, Colorado. And so I kind of use this to kind of illustrate. If this map is the United States, this is New York City here. This is Los Angeles over here. So we live about right here. And we live right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I will say it was nice to come to London and warm up a little bit. We were, <laughs> we were surprised. It was snowing when we left and such beautiful weather this weekend. We have uh, uh, two kids, and they're both uh, married. They're both involved in ministry and in church. And then the most important thing, I think we have a picture of our family. Uh, yeah, the most important thing is over here on this side, uh, that's Mason Cooper and Molly Rose and Maggie Claire. And those are our grandkids, and that's what our world revolves around. Okay, is any other grandparents here? Okay, you know what I'm I'm talking about. We uh, we love being here. We love being in the UK and in England. We've been here uh, several several times. But I'm going to have to tell you up front that, um, that I struggle with the language. Okay, and and occasionally it trips me up. I was here a few years ago with a friend. We were doing some ministry in London, and we had a, a, some time off, and we were going to travel around the city. And so we were going to ride a train uh, underground, and so we saw a sign that said subway, okay? Now, (laughs) you're ahead of me, right? So we walk downstairs, we walk through a dark tunnel, we walk upstairs and find ourselves on the other side of the same street. We're like, this is not how this is supposed to work. I turned to my friend, I actually said, we missed the train in there somewhere, (laughs) So we walked back down the stairs, back through the tunnel, upstairs, and back where we started. And we asked someone, we stopped and said, hey, could, could you tell us where the subway is? And they're like, right there. I said, no, we've been on that. That doesn't go anywhere. We're, we're kind of looking for a train. And I, I am not exaggerating. We were standing in the entrance of the underground station. I mean, it was there. <laughs> and they said, why don't you just kind of go in there? It, it, it gets worse, though. Um, about a year ago, we were staying with some friends out in Bracknell. Uh, Bracknell. There we go. I got it closer. We're, Windsor. Um, we were staying out there, and uh, we were talking to their little girls. They have cute little, little girls. I think they were ten, uh, 8, 10, and 12, and I don't know how it came up, but I said something about my pants, and um, turns out that means something different here than it does. <laughs> turns out you're not supposed to talk about your pants with people's little girls, and so... In the States, that's trousers. And so, very, so it, I say all of that. I am going to try not to say anything offensive this morning, but if I do, it's not on purpose. And if you'll just give me a, a little bit of grace, I would appreciate it. I, I love Kings. I love this church. We met uh, Steve and Deb and, and, and Hillary and, and, and uh, Phil and, and, and Andrew, some of the guys. We met them several years ago. There's a, a something we do every six months. That's why my wife and I are over here. It's a learning community. It happens out in Peterborough, and some of the leaders at King's are a part of that. And as we, we got to know um, some of the leaders, we, our hearts just kind of knit together. This is actually our third time to be here at King's, but our very first time to be on the weekend. And as I've learned about who the church is and what God is doing through the church, it's, it's incredibly exciting 
to me an honor to be speaking today. And I've followed online over the last few weeks as we've talked about Vision 2030. And what an incredible vision as we talk about we want to reach, we want to restore, we want to resource people not just here in southeast London, not just in England, but around the world. We want to see more changed lives. We want to see more revitalized communities. We want to see more transformed nations. And To me, as we talk about Vision 2030, I get excited because to me it sounds like it could be part of an earth-shaking move of God. And as I think about an earth-shaking move of God, I ask, how does that happen? There's been times through history when God has just changed the course of history through a local church or through local leaders. And how does an earth-shaking move of God look? And so what I want to do, just for our time together, I want to talk about an earth-shaking move of God we see in the New Testament through the church at Antioch. I want to talk about one that I've experienced and, and my wife and I have been privileged to be a part of that's happened in the, in the States. And, and then I want to talk about what does that mean here at King's and specifically, what does that mean in your life? And so we want to look at what, some principles of an earth-shaking move of God. And the first principle that I see as I read through what happened in the, first, in the New Testament church in Acts is that an earth-shaking move of God begins with a clear call. It begins with a clear call. We're going to start the story, in fact, before the Antioch church. We're going to back up a little bit to Acts chapter 1 and, and, and read what it says there. On, this, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples had no idea the power that was coming when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't understand Jesus' mission. They've been with him for three years. They still don't understand the scope of what he came to earth to do. They're thinking about their country, their city, their, their, their prestige. And they're saying, Jesus, now is Israel going to become a nation again? Are, are we going to have a king? Are we going to throw off the shackles of Roman oppression? And, and Jesus is trying to explain to them, guys, 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 you're thinking way too small. What I'm talking about is much bigger than what you're thinking. And he says this. He gives them a picture of the future. And he says, it is not for you to know times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But listen to this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This power is the word dunamis, which is miracle working, dynamite, power. You're going to receive power, and this is what's going to happen. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, guys, Jerusalem, Judea, London, it's just the start. It's just the launching pad. You are going to be, he says to the disciples, part of a move of God that will sweep over the entire world. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so they do exactly what Jesus says. They go back into Jerusalem, and they wait. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and in Acts chapter 2, there's fire and there's wind. It's it's amazing, And, and people begin to commit their lives to Christ, and miracles happen. And guess what they did next? They didn't do anything. They stayed right in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And they said... 
How about just Jerusalem? We'll stay right here. They had a clear call, but what they needed was a catalyst. They needed something that would provoke them to change, something that would cause them to move beyond Jerusalem. So that brings us to the second principle in in often in earth-shaking moves of God, and that is an earth-shaking move of God is often catalyzed, it's often set off by a crisis. See, they didn't venture far from Jerusalem, but God was still using them. He was, he was bringing miracles, and people were coming to Jesus. And, and it wasn't just the, the pastors. It, w- it was the people who were in the chairs. It was, it was a guy named Stephen. He begins to preach. He begins to, God begins to perform miracles through him as he's explaining Jesus' mission on earth. Some of the religious leaders get angry at him, and they arrest him, and then they... they, they uh, uh, take him outside the, 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 the uh, area of the city and they use big rocks and they stone him and they stone him to death. And on that day, this is in Acts chapter 8, we pick up the story. On the day that Stephen died, on the day that he was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. In an instant, being a part of this Jerusalem church has changed. Before, it was a fun place to go. They had great music. They had great coffee. It was, we loved hanging out with each other. And now, all of a sudden, just showing up at church could cost you your life. And so many of them say, hey, I think we'll move away. I think, how about if we move from Jerusalem out into Judea? And someone said, how about Samaria? How about uttermost parts of the earth? And they began to spread. And then, in the meanwhile, Paul begins hunting them down and begins following them everywhere that they're going. And there's a significant crisis in the life of the church. Saul, at this point, might single-handedly snuff out this brand new church. He has the authority. He has the ability. He's arresting Christians. He's killing Christians. And this could be the end. And this pattern happens often in our own lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you feel a connection with God. You feel a call from God. You step out into an area of faith. And rather than life getting better, rather than things being good, things get harder, things get worse. You encounter a crisis. And I see this pattern again and again and again when there's an earth-shattering move of God. There's a call and then there's a crisis. This brings us to the third principle. An earth-shaking move of God is marked by divine breakthrough. In the crisis, there comes a divine breakthrough. We follow Saul for a while, and if you're around church much or you've read Acts, you know what happens eventually. He's going to a place called Damascus. He's going to arrest the Christians there. On his way, a bright light shines. It knocks him off of the horse that he's riding on. He's blinded. He hears a voice from heaven call him, and Saul makes a huge conversion, an amazing conversion. He, He changes teams. He becomes a part of the people that he was persecuting. And then the call that Jesus gave, the call to go into Judea and Samaria, begins to take shape. We pick it up in chapter 11 of Acts. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. This is a key. This this is the breakthrough that changes this from a little local move of God to an earth-shaking move of God. 
They were spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Antioch at this point becomes central to the story of the early church. And why is it so key? Because it goes from being a Jewish thing. It goes from being a Jerusalem thing. And suddenly it becomes a worldwide thing. Gentiles are now invited in. This is the breakthrough that changes the world. Soon Barnabas is going to come and join this church. And then Barnabas is going to go find Saul, the very guy who caused the persecution, the very guy who drove them out of Jerusalem. Barnabas goes and says, let's get that guy. And he brings Saul, who later is called Paul, and they become a part of this church at Antioch. And then this church says, we want to go beyond Antioch. We want to go out into Rome and to Greece and to Spain and beyond. And so they set aside Barnabas and Paul And they send them out as missionaries to the world. And here's what's crazy. It's because of this church in Antioch. It's because of this move of God that we are here today. Most of us are not Jewish. Most of us are Gentiles. But we would not be in this church, in Kings, in London, if it weren't for those guys in Antioch 2,000 years ago. It was an earth-shaking move of God. I want to share with you my experience with what I think could be an earth-shaking move of God. You'll have to decide, but it's something we, we experienced in America. We were working, my wife and I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, which is on the southeast coast of the states, and we were working for a church called Seacoast Church. And we experienced what I would call a divine call, a clear call to a change. The church had grown. It was, it was about the size of the Catford site. There were maybe 800, 1,000 people coming to the church. And our pastor came and he said, God's given me a vision. It's funny, we're talking today about vision 2030. That was vision 2000. And he said, God has called us to, to, to reach not just a thousand people, but thousands of people. And he's called us to plant 2000 churches. And we just kind of smiled because you have to understand this was in the late 1990s. At that point as a church, we had planted two churches. Okay. And one of them had closed. And so we were 1,999 churches short of Vision 2000. And we couldn't imagine thousands of people coming to our little building. And, but then we did a third service and a fourth service and eventually a fifth service. And, 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 and we reached a point where we outgrew our building. And that's when we hit the crisis. The clear call was Vision 2000 to reach thousands and tens of thousands and then plant thousands of churches and we ran out of space, and we tried to build a bigger building, and we, 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 we were able to buy land, we were able to raise funds to build the building. We went to our local town council, and they said no. They said, we do not want a larger building in our community. In fact, some of our town council said, why don't you move someplace else where they might want you there? That was really, really difficult. We were out of ideas. We didn't know what else to do. We were doing five and six weekend services, identical weekend services. The building was packed every every time. We had nowhere to park cars. We had nowhere to put children. And yet more people were coming. We did not know what to do. And that's when we had a breakthrough. We heard in the States back around 2001, we heard of a couple of other churches that had started meeting in more than one location. So they would be one church 
but in multiple locations. And, and they used video teaching for that some of the time. And, and we thought, that sounds crazy, but we don't know what else to do. And so in 2002, we opened a site about uh, uh, 15 minutes away, a second site, and we started having music at both sites, and then we had live, live preaching, and, and people came, and we thought, well, maybe, maybe this is something God is calling us to do. And, and then we had a church that uh, we had helped start a few years before. They called and said, hey, we, would, you, would you merge with us? Would you adopt us? Could we be a part of Seacoast? And, and we want to do what you're doing there in town. We want to have video teaching here. Well, this, this, this site was about 100 miles away, and we had no idea if it would be effective, but we said, well, you know, we'll try. And so we went there and we kind of helped them fix up their building and kind of helped them with their music a little bit, helped them with their children's ministry. And, and then the big Sunday came and we sent out invitations and we invited friends and we had a huge video screen, just a huge video screen. And we had the music and the music went well. The building was packed. People were standing along the walls. And, and then it came time for the preaching and we didn't know how that would work with video preaching. And, and then the, 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 pastors came up on the screen and he's preaching and it's going well people are listening and about 15 minutes into the sermon it froze it just froze on screen now i was responsible for getting the video out there and i was back in the tech booth with you guys back there and i'm doing anything i can i'm pushing buttons i'm banging things i'm shaking things please please move and then a video started playing again it's like ah. Oh. That's great. That's great. We go about another five minutes and it freezes again. But this time the pastor's lips left his face and are about five feet off to the right. And they're just a quivering over there like jelly. I'm in the back. I'm pushing buttons. Now I'm praying. I'm offering sacrifices. Anything, anything to get the pastor to start preaching again. I don't know if you realize it, but when a pastor's lips leave his face, it is hard to get the crowd back. It is hard to focus. We never did. We never got the pastor going again. We turned off the video. The leader got up and said, hey, we're sorry. Technical mistake. Hope you'll come try us again someday, but thanks for being here. And, and people came and the next week and they came back and they said, we love the community that we feel here. We love the worship that we experience. We understand technical challenges, but we love what God is up to. And then amazing things happened. Our breakthrough is now we were one church in two locations, and then three locations, and then five, and then seven, and then nine, and then 12. Eventually, over about eight years, we grew, we grew to 14 locations. And we saw God grow this church from the same size as you are here at, just at Catford. Eventually, 12,000 people started coming to this church. When we started, other churches were telling us, that's a crazy idea. You can't use video teaching. You can't be one church in multiple locations. And we said, you're right. We just don't know what else to do. And so we did it. And then other churches said, well, could we learn how to do that? And they started coming and learning, and then they started doing it. And what's amazing is today in America, there will be over 8,000 churches across the country that will be one church in multiple location. There will be over 5 million people attending multi-site churches. 10% of every Protestant in America today goes to a multi-site church. We've seen God do this incredible, earth-shaking move of God. 
And what about those 2,000 churches? Well, during this time, we also partnered up with a couple of other friends and we began planting churches. And as we planted churches, we planted two and then four and then six. As of today, Seacoast has been a part of planting 850 churches in America. They're going to plant 2,000 churches. And it doesn't have anything to do with the people who were leading. And it doesn't have anything to do with the part that I played. God just wanted to do something. And so he chose a church in South Carolina to be a part of what he was doing. And I can't help but believe that God's doing the same thing right here in London. Right here at King's. I see King's on the precipice of an earth-shaking move of God. It begins with a clear call. You have a clear call. You have had prophetic words prayed over this church. You are called together thousands and impact tens of thousands. And it's clear. I believe you're at a crisis point. I believe that this is a crisis point in the history of kings. Will you stay where you are? You are successful. You are reaching lots of people in London. You have four locations. It's amazing. You can say, wow, we're, we're doing great as a church, and you are. Or are you going to take a leap of faith? Are you going to say, we're going to go beyond what we could ask or imagine? I believe that Kings is poised for a breakthrough. I really, really do. I know your leadership team. Steve is an incredible apostolic leader. He has vision for what God is doing. Andrew is a world-renowned theologian. Who is, uh, we know who Andrew is in the United States. He's known all over the world. Phil is an extremely gifted pastoral leader. Tristan is a brilliant operational leader right here. Hillary is an incredible leader here at Catford. And so many staff that we've met, God has brought together staff and volunteers and elders in this amazing church. You're in one of the most influential locations in the world. What happens in London sends waves in every direction. And a congregation that's fascinating. You have your roots, some in London, but they told me this week that over 50 languages are natively spoke right here in this congregation. Uh, They they did a survey and they told me that 32% of you were born outside of the UK. What that says to me is it's not an accident that God has gathered together a a modern-day Antioch right here in Catford because you have connections around the world. And God wants to use you in an earth-shaking move of God. What is your part? What is God calling you to do? What does God want to do through you, through kings? What are you being called to? What is God speaking to you about? For some of you today, honestly, it's hard to think about that. It's hard to think about what more could I do? How could I lead? How could I serve? How could I give? Because you've already moved beyond the call. You're in a crisis point and you're feeling pain today. And you know that life is kind of overwhelming right now. And so my question for you today as we finish is, where do you need a breakthrough? Where do you need a breakthrough? Where in your life do you need something so extraordinary that it can only be explained by God? I know for my wife and I, we're praying for a breakthrough. There's an area of our life that we're believing that God is going to do something that is a miracle. I don't know what you're praying for. It might be in health. It might be in finance. It 
You might be struggling with anxiety, depression, addiction. I don't know your fears or your burdens or your hurts, but I do know this. I'm 4,500 miles away from home this morning, and I believe that God brought me here for one reason, and it's to give you a message of hope. I believe, and maybe for you personally, you need to know that God sees, He knows, He cares. And he offers miracle-working, dynamous power today to break through in your life. As we finish today, I want to read a scripture and then have a prayer. And the scripture that I'm going to read is a scripture that is read at every single, I mentioned the church, Seacoast Church. All 14 campuses will finish their services today with this scripture because it speaks deeply to who we are and what God's promise is for us. And I want to pray this scripture over you and then pray. Would you bow your heads with me and receive this as, for, as directly to you? And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, we just pray today. Lord, I thank you for this incredible church in London that's making such an incredible impact. I thank you for each leader, for each volunteer, for each elder, Lord. I thank you for all the work that's being done. But Lord, I I can't help but believe this is just the beginning. I can't help but believe that they are on a precipice of something that is going to shake the world. Lord, I pray for each one of us. You'll, You'll show us our part. But Lord, I also pray for individuals who have a hard time seeing the vision out beyond because life is so hard right where they are. Lord, I pray for breakthrough today. I pray in the next few moments as we, as we worship, as we pray, as we seek you, that we will feel your hand and hear your voice. And Lord, we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.